God, promises of hope, promises of light. I pray that we would trust in those. I pray that you would open our hearts, open our ears to hear your word this morning. Uh, you would speak through Michael. You would speak through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We read in, in more than one place in Scripture that we are to encourage one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And, uh, this would continue to encourage you, continue to encourage you as we, uh, to think as we sing. What about those lines encourage you to dwell on those, to uh, allow the words of the music we sing to, to move you closer to God in relationship and fellowship? As Brandon talked about, sometimes life is difficult. We need to be moved toward God. Sometimes just the day doesn't ever seem to go right. There, for those of you who are old enough to remember Calvin and Hobbes, and for you young kids, if you don't know who Calvin and Hobbes is, you need to go home, tell your parents that it's worthy to be seen, and uh, find it, look at it. There's a, a cartoon strip where uh, the first frame is, is Calvin, and he's a little boy, by the way, you know, six, seven. He's confidently marching out the door. But every other frame after that, something goes horribly wrong. He's sat in gum on his seat at school. Uh, the bully has put him upside down in his locker. Uh, the water fountain has drenched him with water. Nobody picks him on the team to play baseball. What the cafeteria serves is not any good. Uh, he doesn't know the answer to the question the teacher asks, and he misses the bus on the way home and has to walk home in the rain. Rough day. Bad day. And he's sitting on his bed at night talking to his tiger, who's real but not, and he says, I don't understand it. You'd think, wearing my rocket ship underpants, the day would have gone better than this. And Hobbes says, you do what you can do. And sometimes that's how we feel. We do what we can do and, and life still throws us a curve. Uh, but sometimes we help that curveball along. We, we give it speed and ammunition. Sometimes our own choices make that bad day even worse. That's um, what we find when we get to Genesis 32. We are in the midst of a, a series in the life of Jacob. And last week, finally, it, it, it appears that just sort of Jacob may be seeming to get it. Maybe understanding what's going on. He, while he ran from Laban, they ended up seemingly to reconcile, made a covenant, a treaty, and now he is on his way back, back to the promised land after 20 years of being gone. 20 years of not being with his family. 20 years of hard work and the accumulation of two wives and a whole bunch of kids. And he shows back up. In Genesis 32, we read these words. Now as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. Jacob said when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he named that place Mahanaim. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He also commanded them, saying, 
Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have journeyed with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my lord that I may find favor in your sight. The messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and furthermore he's coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him, and the flocks and the herds and the camels, into two companies. For he said, If Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your relatives, and I will prosper you? I'm unworthy of all your loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he will come and attack me and the mothers and the children. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. So he spent the night there. Then he selected from what he had with him a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass on before me and put a space between the droves. He commanded the one in front, saying, When my brother Esau meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong and where are you going and to whom do these animals in front of you belong? Then you shall say, These belong to your servant Jacob. It is a present sent to my lord Esau. And behold, he is behind us. Then he commanded also the second and the third and all those who followed the droves, saying, After this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, Behold, your servant Jacob also is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. Then afterward I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on before him while he himself spent that night in the camp. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for uh, an opportunity to share in your word, and we pray that you would bless our time, you would encourage our hearts, and that you would move our wills to be obedient. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. The question is, does Jacob now trust God or does he fear men? That's the question we've got to answer. Does he trust God or does he fear men? A first reading, it appears that maybe he actually does trust God. He comes back to the promised land. He's actually on the east side of the Jordan River. And the angels appear to him. And he names the place Mahanaim, which really means double camp. God's camp, my camp. God's angels, my people. Wouldn't you like to be camped next to a bunch of angels? Wouldn't that be helpful? Wouldn't that be comforting? I would think so. And then he does something else that's a little surprising. He sends messengers way out of the way, way down south, where he doesn't have to go to his brother. I'm back. He didn't have to do that. He could have just crossed the Jordan, gone to the promised land, and not ever really messed with Esau. But he sends word. Does he want to reconcile? Maybe the situation with Laban that we looked at last week where he was chased down and confronted uh, taught him a lesson. I need to really get right with people that I'm estranged with. 
But then that distress happens, that fear. Oh, Esau's coming to see you. Oh, and he's bringing 400 men with him. If I was Jacob, why would you bring such a big party just to say hello? Uh, this is trouble. Got to be trouble. And so he does what any smart person would do. He makes a plan and he prays. Again, it seems like he trusts God. And it really is a, a rather marvelous prayer. He confesses his own inadequacies. He confesses his own fear. He asks God to protect him and he reminds God of his promises to him. Something that's not uncommon in, in Hebrew prayers. They would often remind God of the promises that he had made. Well, that's really ultimately reminding themselves or not, I don't know, but it, it's a genuine prayer. And then it, he seeks to right the wrongs. It says that he sends all these animals ahead of him. And the comment that he makes down in verse 20, for he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. Literally, I will make atonement. The same word that we use in the Old Testament for when a priest would offer a sacrifice to make atonement for the sins of the people. Jacob says, I'm sending this present in front of me to make atonement, seemingly for maybe the way I treated my brother 20 years ago. And so at first glance, it looks like, yeah, maybe Jacob has finally, despite his fear, and, and you'd be afraid too, wouldn't you, if you heard that the brother that you cheated out of all that he had, out of his father's blessing, was coming to see you with 400 men. Don't take that lightly. I mean, that's not an easy thing to, to deal with. If your enemy is coming to see you, uh, Laban was one thing. He didn't have much. He chased him down, but Jacob wasn't really scared of him. Laban wasn't a threat to Jacob. Esau, on the other hand, Last time that Jacob saw him, he wanted to kill him. Fear, rightly so, but it appears that he's trying to do the right thing. It appears that he's maybe finally making wise choices. Does he trust God? It's a question we should always ask ourselves. When we're faced with distress, when we're faced with fear, do we trust God? As we go through those motions of planning and praying and, and using our gifts to maybe appease our enemy, what's our motivation? What's behind that? Is it trust in God or is it fear? But if we look a little more carefully, the question is, is this more about trusting God or is this more about His fear. The question is, is this true reconciliation? Is he really trying to get right with Esau? Or is he just trying to put a salve over his guilty conscience? <clears throat> if so, why didn't he send all those gifts with the servant the first time? Esau, I'm back. I want to make up for the fact that I stole your birthright and I stole your blessing. <clears throat> I've been blessed abundantly. I want to share with you. But he didn't do that. He didn't send anything until things were in danger. And then, and this is a spoiler alert for a couple of weeks from now, if we look over in chapter 33, after they've met, Esau says, come back with me. 
Let's go hang out together. And Jacob says, ah, I've got all these kids. I've got all these animals. If we go too fast, they'll die. You go ahead, I'll catch up. So Esau goes ahead and Jacob doesn't catch up. He, he's he not intending to follow him. In fact, he lies to him. You see, Jacob has just got finished spending 10 days on an extremely fast march to get away from Laban. Laban caught him in 10 days. It appears from looking at the map, they covered about 200 miles in those 10 days. That's a pretty quick trip with kids and animals. But he tells Esau, oh, I, I can't do it. I, they'll die if we, if we rush. We're just going to kind of hang out and go slow. Was he really trying to reconcile or was he just trying to make himself feel better? I'm back. Is everything okay? Was it true reconciliation or was it just, I'll do something. I need to do something. And then what about the prayer? Was it a trusting prayer or was it something else? Remember, we talked about Abraham's servant, that he was kind of the, the paradigm, the one that everybody else should be looking at. Here's how you should behave and then no one else does that. If anybody was distressed, it was Abraham's servant going to try to find a wife for Isaac. Shows up in a strange land, strange people. I don't have a clue who the right woman is. So the first thing that he does is he prays. That's not the first thing Jacob does. The first thing Jacob does is he makes a plan. He divides his people into two groups. If Esau's coming and they attack one, the other half will escape. Not a bad plan, ultimately. But what's interesting is, remember the angels? Remember what Jacob named that place? He named it Mahanaim. Double camp, two camps, the angels and me. And yet when he's praying, he talks to God and he says in verse 10, now I have become two companies. You see, earlier there were two companies. There were two camps. There was God's camp and Jacob's camp. But in the midst of that prayer, somehow those two have been forgotten and now there's just half of my kids and my animals and the other half of my kids and my animals. Shouldn't he have said, there are three camps? Shouldn't he have said, God, I, I, I know you're here. I appreciate the angels. We're just going to hang out as one and remain really two camps instead of now there's three. Is it a prayer of trust or is it, or is fear gripping him and moving him away from trust? What about you when life comes at you? What's your first reaction? Is it to make plans like Jacob or is it to pray? It's easy sometimes to, in our own strength, our own mind, our own understanding to go, okay, here's what I've got to do. God, would you bless that? Versus starting out with, God, I don't know what to do, but I trust you. And if you're in the habit of doing the planning before the praying, that's hard to break. Especially when the pressure is on. If we're in the habit of making all our decisions, all our small decisions on our own, it's very difficult to all of a sudden start making big decisions with God. For those of you who are 
young in here, the ones that normally aren't in here, now is a good time to begin the habit of when you are faced with a decision to pray first and plan second. To pray first and plan second. If we're in the habit of doing that, and adults, that may be harder than it is for the little ones because you're, you may be in that bad habit of always planning first or thinking before you pray. Would you decide this week just to do a little experiment? When I get up, God, would you orchestrate my day? When you're faced with something you're not sure what to do about, would you say a, a quick prayer? doesn't have to be long. doesn't have to be complicated. I'm reminded of when Nehemiah was going before the king. He'd been praying a lot, but he goes before the king and says, here's the trouble. And the king says, what do you want me to do? And the text says, and Nehemiah prayed. Now, he didn't get down on his knees in front of the king, close his eyes. Uh, hold on just a second. That's not what he did. He probably never closed his eyes. Still looking at the king, but in his mind's going, okay, Lord, here we go. I trust you. Will you move this guy's heart? Quick, simple. But will you get in the habit of doing that on a regular basis when you're faced with a decision? Instead of planning first and praying second. And then finally, what about the gifts? What about all those animals that he sent? We said that, that I think, maybe, that really wasn't to make atonement. It was to keep Esau from killing him. If I give him enough, maybe he'll back off. I don't think he was really after reconciliation. I think he was after saving his own hide. And the question is, what blessings do we give up because we fear men? What blessings do we give up because we fear men? See, he was blessed abundantly for 20 years in Padanaram. And he comes back and because he's afraid, because he doesn't know what else to do, because he ultimately doesn't trust God, he's giving up blessing. Where do we do that? Or do we give up blessing? Maybe not material blessing, but maybe the blessing, the, the knowledge of contentment in our relationship with God. Psalm 1 says, Blessed are those who do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Right? When we make wise decisions, when we don't follow after those people who are going to lead us astray, the Scripture says we're blessed. We're happy. We're more joyful. We don't have a guilty conscience. We don't have to deal with sin. But is there ever a time when, because you fear what someone might think, or because you're not sure how someone's going to respond, you kind of go along with the crowd? You, you get involved in things you shouldn't be involved in. Whether that's thoughts, or words, or actions. You kind of just go along with the flow, and, and, and you say, well, they're my friends, I don't want to hurt their feelings. And you end up doing something that you regret later on. You're trading your blessing because you fear men. Psalm 32 says, blessed, are, blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven. And then the psalmist goes on and talks about the reason that happens is because the person comes before God and confesses. Are you giving up blessings because 
You fear what someone might think of you if you confess sin. Are you giving up the blessings of having, of knowing you have a clean conscience because you just want to hold on to that sin? You're not willing to confess. You're not willing to let it go. You know, I, I know God wants this part of me and this part of me and this part of me, but I don't want to let that part go. I don't want to give Him that. Whatever that may be. How you handle money. How you relate to a friend, how you relate to a spouse, how you relate to kids, how you let your mind wander on things it shouldn't wander on, how you let your eyes see things they shouldn't see, how you listen to what you shouldn't listen to. But you give up blessings by not allowing God into that part of your life and confessing that. It may not be that you're, you're selling the farm, out of fear of man, it may be that you're just trading in your joy, trading in your peace, trading in your happiness, trading in how God wants to bless you because, well, I just, I'm not sure what someone will think if they see me as weak and confessing sin, or if they really knew that's what I thought about, or if they really knew that's what I did, would they still love me? And so we're afraid of that and so we hold those things in and we don't experience the joy and the grace of God. I don't know if, if Jacob's ever going to learn the lesson he needs to learn. But his life certainly is a model for us of what we're not supposed to be like. It's a man who is trying, I think at this point, finally trying to do right, but the sin of the past will not let him go. And as we've talked about before, sin will follow you. Maybe he is at a point where he's trying to do right, but his past actions have led him to where, instead of going home to a joyful reunion, he's still afraid of what happened 20 years ago. We're going to see in a couple of weeks that reunion between Jacob and Esau. It might surprise you Who's the better man there? My prayer for you and for us is that we would trust God and not fear men. That we would seek God. That we would, when God makes promises to us, like He made to Jacob, I will be with you. I will bring you back into the land. And Jacob's not in the land yet. He's still on the east side of the Jordan. For God to be a God who keeps His promises. Jacob still has a few miles to go. And he said, and I will make you as the sand of the sea shore. And right now he's 12. God has made wonderful promises to us in this book. And the question is, will we trust Him and then live our lives accordingly? Or will we fear men and struggle? and doubt, and be forced or be compelled to give away the blessings that God has given us. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank You for today, and we thank You for Your Word. I thank You for, um, for Jacob and the example that he is to us, even though sometimes it's a negative example. And yet, how alike we are at times to him, knowing the promises knowing that You're with us and yet doing stuff that just seems 
dumb at times. I pray that Your Spirit would encourage us and challenge us and strengthen us to be the people that You've called us to be. That when we go out into the world in the midst of the fears and the distresses of life, whether that's something as simple as gum in our seat or our enemies attacking us, that we would trust in You and Your goodness and Your graciousness. And then may people see us trusting in You and be turned to You. And we thank You for this time. We thank You for today. We ask that You would now bless our time as the, our kids go to their classes. Give their teachers wisdom and skill. May they learn more about You as uh, the adults go to three or four different places. God, may You continue to teach us and encourage us and challenge us to walk with You. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.